Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The views given on the following program are not necessarily the views of the station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different. Please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. Success is equated with excess. The ambition for excess wrecks us. As the top of the mind becomes a bottom line where success is equated with excess. This is Care for My Wealth with Mike Pilch and Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, your fee-only investment firm. Now, here's your Care for My Wealth guys, Chris Klein and Mike Pilch. Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. You need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. I am Mike Pilch. To get in contact with Capstone Wealth Management via phone, it is 866-596-9886. 866-596-9886. Also send them an email to info at careformywealth.com. Info at careformywealth.com. I bring in the Care For My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. How are you this morning? Welcome into your own show. Wonderful, beautiful, fantastic, lovely. How are you? Not bad. I can see that your internet's working better this week. Hey, amen to that. Yeah. Well, we'll hope that it keeps going and then it doesn't become jalopy-ish, you know? Jalopy-ish. Ooh, I like that phrase. <laughs> Been reading up a lot of uh, Hollywood in Los Angeles in the t- 10s, 20s, and 30s and the early days of uh, Hollywood. So jalopy goes right into that. So that's perfect. Um, Good news. All right. lot going on in a lot of different directions with the markets and investment right now. And we talked last week about this phase transition that we're in. And you say you see more signs of that developing and the more signs that develop, the better idea you're going to have of what people should do. So where are we here with that now a week later? Yeah. So let me just maybe um, revisit some of the things that were happening to try and give uh, an indication or some help as to, well, you know, what is, what was, what was occurring that helped you to identify that there were risks building into the equity markets, you know, because we have to recognize that, you know, the the market, if you're going to look at things of that nature, I mean, since the beginning of September, September 2nd, actually, the first day of trading for September, you know, the stock markets have sold off pretty heavily. I mean, the S&P is down over seven and a half percent. NASDAQ now is down uh, over 10, 11 percent, 12 percent, close to that, something like that. And, and so there, the, the signs that you have to pay attention to with any investment, it's not just stocks, it, it's, it's not just bonds, it's not just commodities, it's, 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 it's the volatility of things that you have to pay attention to. 
And, and what I have found is that the reason why most people don't pay attention to the, the important things as it relates to the timing of matters, specifically what kind of to be in and when, is because they don't understand. Nobody's ever told them, hey, volatility matters. Mm-hmm. You're not going to hear these things in most cases when you turn on CNBC or any of the, 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 the mainstream news uh, financially related TV programs. They're not just, they're just simply not geared to help you view from a macro perspective. They, they, and if you sit and listen, it, it, it'll start to, you know, you, you'll start to understand what I mean. You'll, you'll turn on CNBC and almost all the time is what sounds like a cheerleading effect for stocks and stocks alone. And, you know, look, I, I, I guess maybe a, a, a disclosure, a disclaimer, you know, I'm not a raging bear. I'm not a raging bull. They change dependent upon what the market is saying, number one, and number two, specifically as a function of what the economy is saying. <clears throat> and, and so inflection points are super valuable and they're super important to recognize and understand. So last week, the things that we were talking about that mattered was an accelerating degree of volatility. And the volatility measures that you pay attention to are just everything. In other words, the volatility measures of the S&P, of the NASDAQ, of the Russell 2000, the volatility measurements of specific asset classes like gold and silver, specific countries and areas like emerging markets and China. You know, all of those things go into helping you make a decision and a choice as to what do I do? Because guess what? I do love some equities. I just don't happen to love most US-based equities right now because of where we are within that economic sign curve. Mm -hmm. China looks nothing like the US in terms of economic cycling, right? Please understand, I I get that there are a lot of people that (laughs) that are not excited about thinking about investing in China. I understand that people have a, in some cases, just a, you know, serious problem of of investing within a communist regime. I get it. From a citizenry standpoint, I'm with you 100%. However, my job is to do two things. One, protect my and my client's money and, and make money. And to do that, we have to identify exactly where we stand. And so last week, the things that were developing was this consistent increasing degree of, of, of volatility in the measurements specifically related to U.S. equities. Vixen, VXN, VIX, VIX, RVX, which has to do with small caps. And and when you see prices, number one, when you see prices move down with volatility moving up, that's a terrible sign. That's a sign that that whatever is going on is not done yet, (laughs) right? And so, you know, if you think about like, for example, um, you know, Monday, Tuesday of this week, you, you had a situation with the NASDAQ where in both cases, the NASDAQ of this past week was up both Monday and Tuesday. And okay, fine. And, and so you had to then look a little bit underneath the hood and ask yourself, well, what's the volatility measurement doing? On Monday, it was down, but on Tuesday, it roared up. Wednesday, it was up. Thursday, it was up. Friday, it was up. And look what happened to price over those those times Wednesday Thursday Friday markets were you know down pretty heavily mm-hmm. so it has nothing to do with valuation it has nothing to do with you know what someone thinks is awesome or not awesome speaking of which the there's a company by the name of snowflake that came public this week <laughs> so 
they came public at like, I don't know, gosh, what was it? Like a hundred or some odd dollars a share. They ramped up to $319 a share. Intraday crashed 20% from there. Wow. The, the things that are happening in that wow. space are actually, are actually very reminiscent of 2000. You know, you, you had these, you had these no name companies with really no revenues to speak of. Now Snowflake's got some revenues, but they came public at a hundred times revenues. That's ridiculous. I mean, it, you know, talk about, talk about a number that's through the roof and just out of control. And, and so at the same time, you had this situation where investors who didn't really understand how those things work piled into them. So that's a problem. And then you look underneath, underneath the hood even deeper and you see the, the, the seven names, and I've mentioned these names a bajillion times, all the FANG stuff, were controlling essentially the massive movements of all the market. And they all looked terrible. They looked, the tech names just looked like they wanted to roll over. So when I talk about an economic phase transition, everything gets focused on the dollar and what the US dollar is doing. There's literally only one economic phase where the dollar goes up in value. In other words, it becomes a bullish play. And that's in what's called quad four or a deflationary quad. So what you do is you start paying attention to what the dollar is saying. And you look at how it's trading. You look at how it's trending. And then you start making your decisions and your choices based on those sub-asset classes that trade specifically either directly or inversely to what's happening with the dollar. So literally every single day, we track the 15, 30, and 90-day correlations to the U.S. dollar for the S&P, Brent oil, CRV index, gold. We want to know what every single asset class is doing specifically as it relates to the dollar. And there just started to be some of these little identifiers that said, you know, if the dollar goes up, there's a pretty good chance stocks are going to go down. Right. If the dollar goes up, there's a pretty good chance oil's going to go down, that gold might even go down. I mean, there, all these things start to happen. Well, all of a sudden the dollar starts moving up, bad signal. You get oil breaking trend, right? So it moved from bullish to bearish trend. All right. Now it can flip back. When you're at a phase transition, these things can flop back and forth for a while, you know, until something breaks. <laughs> and you never know what that thing is that's going to ultimately break. But when you get these potential transitions, they kind of flop back and forth from bullish to bearish trend. In other words, the dollar moving from bearish to bullish trend, oil moving from bullish to bearish trend, you know, and they'll flip back and forth just ever so slightly throughout you know, a two, three, or mm -hmm. some odd week period. And you just kind of have to watch how all these sub-asset classes are, are responding to the movement of that. But here's the big one. The big one is the way technology reacts. Because guess what? There's only one economic quadrant where technology gets body bagged. It's quad four. It's deflation. It's the only place technology does terrible. Well, take a look at how technology has done just even recently, and you can pick up a pile of different names within technology. All the major names, with the exception of Tesla, have just done terrible since the beginning of September. You know, I mean, they're, most of them are down anywhere from 15 to 20 percent. Um, you look at the broad view of technology by way of the NASDAQ 100. That looks terrible and is coming down. Software, you name it. I mean, just technology across the board. So you say, all right, well... 
I'm not willing to throw it all in completely yet, but I can tell you this, when I was seeing the volatility measurements going up at the beginning of this week, along with price of those things going up, I de-risked mine and my clients' portfolios dramatically. We raised a pile of cash. We got rid of and out of all those things that typically don't work within a deflationary segmentation. And I started to focus on the things that really work, both in a what we call a deep quad three or stagflation and or deflation narrow to straight quad four kind of an environment. So long bonds, gold, cash, <laughs> those are the things that work well. Now, here's what's funny. People will say, Chris, you're nuts. Look at interest rates. My goodness, they just want to keep going up. Well, yeah, until they don't. Have you seen all the news articles out there on all the major central banks across the globe that are now either actively talking about negative interest rates yeah. or actively implementing it? That's extraordinary, <laughs> but I have. Yeah. The Bank of England is the newest, I guess, entrance uh, entrant into that uh, into that uh, that ideology. Well, <laughs> okay. When's the Fed? The Fed's next, I guess. I mean, yeah, you know, that's... if we think about what's happened. Yeah, in that interest rate cycle, it's it, it's just absolutely stunning. So I'm not willing to throw in the towel and say, yep, yeah, no, you're right. Interest rates are just going to keep going up from here because I, I think what's going to happen is that these interest rates are going to bounce, you know, between like on a 10-year treasury between, you know, 0.6 and 0.7%. I mean, it's, it's going to kind of do nothing until something breaks. Mm -hmm. And that something that has to break has to be a, a something that gives you much more clarity in terms of, are we really heading towards a deflationary cycle? Um, yeah, I, I, it appears based on the evidence right now that that could in fact be, you know, a high probability. It's, it's north of 40% probability now when we look at our predictive uh, tracking algorithms. You know, it, it was slightly under 30% last week. Now it's slightly or slightly under 40%. Now it's slightly over 40%. So the predictive tracking algorithms aren't backing off of it saying, eh, no, it was a head fake. Eh, if anything, it's well, there's getting a little bit clearer. Deflationary, there's not one positive out of that for the economy moving forward. Well, you know, and, and so that's the other side of it. You know, I, I had a conversation yesterday with, with an extremely bright client of mine, really, really good businessman. Um, just one of these kinds of people that you just enjoy talking to because their their intuition is so good, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that that you can't help but pay attention to the things that they're saying, you know. And and you know when you're in business for a really long time and you're successful at it through the different market cycles that we've gone through, you know it says something about that person's abilities and intuitions in terms of making good choices and decisions. And the comment was, I just can't imagine the stock market going down into an election. There's no way they're going to let it go down. And I, my comment was, I don't really disagree, but I don't know how they're going to do that. I yeah. mean, literally, it, it's going to, the Fed is going to have to come to the table and say, we're just going to buy stocks. <laughs> I hate to say they're out of tools, but they're out of tools. I, people don't want to believe that. Everyone wants to say, oh, don't fight the Fed. It's I'm a, looking at it saying, it's a different well, I, scenario just, this year because of what's going on. So you can't just make a blanket statement, I think, saying there's no way they would let that happen in an election year because there's so many outlying variables this year. 
Well, there is a lot of outlying variables. There's a lot of things that have happened, not the least of which was the whole pandemic thing that, you know, has floated around out there. But, you know, at the end of the day, if we look at the kinds of tools that the Fed has implemented, it's been the nonstop growth for most hard part of their, their balance sheet. Their balance sheet kind of, you know, kind of, uh, well, it, it just kind of stopped going up from, you know, late May, early June into just recently. Mm-hmm. And now it started ramping up again. The Fed will say, as they did this last week, so they had a press conference this last week, you know, and to listen to it was like, I don't think he believes two thirds of the things that he's saying. Hmm. <laughs> there was literally only one question that was worth a darn by any journalist throughout that entire segmented amount of, of press release. And the one question had to do with the creation of asset bubbles. And the answer was, well, you know, I, I don't think we're creating asset bubbles. I mean, what, really? On what planet do you live? Look around you and ask yourself, really, how do you not see asset bubbles taking place based on your actions in terms of the implementation of indiscriminate bond buying? You know, they've come to the table and, of course, bought piles of bonds and tons of junk bonds and things that just a few years ago people would have thought unconscionable. Like, oh, no, they can't do that. The Fed can't come into the private market and buy these things. Yeah. Well, Well, we're, I don't know, there's a lot to cipher through here, more of what Chris is saying with this phase transition, uh, some economic transitions, more signs developing, give you a better idea of what you're supposed to do right now. A lot of volatility out there. He is the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Clyde. I am Mike Pilch to get in contact with him at Capstone Wealth Management via phone. It's 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or send him an email to info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com. I am Mike Pilch. He's the Care For My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. This is Care For My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. Now, two guys who care, Chris Klein and Mike Pilch. This is Care For My Wealth. With Capstone Wealth Management, to get in contact with him via phone, it's 866-596-9886, 866-596-9886. You can also email them, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. Capstone Wealth Management is a private, fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So you need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. Last week, we talked about this phase transition we're seeing in the markets right now, and you mentioned something in the very beginning moments of the show, Chris, that perked my ears up. You said there's a lot of investors, including veteran investors, that aren't taking volatility into consideration right now. And I say to myself, are you an investor if you're not taking volatility into consideration? That blew my <laughs> mind that so many people aren't doing that. That's one of the you know, gospel rules when you're investing. They're not, and they don't. And and how do I know that? Because I can tell you that the, a large portion of very large institutional hedge fund traders and managers did not come out of a lot of these major seven names that we've talked about in the past recently with this, this pullback. If anything, they got bigger. <clears throat> how do I know that they got bigger in their positions? Because the, the implied volatility discounts in the options market got deeper, meaning they got more complacent. Mm-hmm. When you when when if you look at the options market, there's things called implied volatility and and there's realized volatility. It, when you look at them and you start to see discounts or they're trading negative happening or premiums tr- 
trading positive happening, it gives you an indication as to what the crowd is doing in that in terms of bigger money. And, and the bigger names like, for example, Microsoft, Apple, um, two of the bigger names, of, of course, as it relates to the, the makeup of the, uh, like the NASDAQ 100, for example, just simply due to their size, uh, some ETFs that are focused specifically on technology like symbol XLK. 42% of symbol XLK is made up of Microsoft and Apple. Hmm. So what, what those two do for the most part is going to be what that ETF does. And, you know, there are so many people that have just bought into the tech all the time expectation because, well, it has been, I mean, tech has been the place to be for what feels like forever, Yeah, you know? And, and so the crowd has become very adjusted to, Hey, you just buy the dip, no matter what the dip is. That's fine until you go into a quad four environment where you get your face ripped off by buying mm -hmm. tech. And so you start looking underneath the hood and you say to yourself, okay, well, these implied volatility numbers have become deeper discounted, which tells me the big crowd has gotten bigger. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fine, but we're still watching volatility measures go up. So people say, well, yeah, Chris, but why can't you invest when volatility measures are going up? You can. If you just have to recognize that if you choose to do that, there are going to be instances where you're going to see 5, 10, 15, 20% hmm. movements in the price of whatever that thing is that you've decided to buy that has high and rising volatility measures. For me and my clients, what I'm attempting to do is, is get rid of volatility, get rid of the bounces that cause people to make bad choices, bad decisions, and ultimately lose money because they, they react at a time of being frightened. I mean, volatility for most people that don't understand it is a scary thing. You, know, you wake up and you look at your portfolio and, and it's down 10%. Well, to many, 10% is no big deal, but if your retirement is you know, 2 million bucks and you just lost 200 grand, well, I don't know about you, but that kind of sucks. That doesn't feel very good. Yep. You know, that, that can make you a little bit nervous. So what I'm saying is, is that sure, you can, you can invest in any asset class when its volatility measures are high, spiking or rising. What we try to do though, is look at them from a, a, from where they stand in terms of a regime. In other words, there are different buckets of volatility that if you place yourself in that bucket at that time, it gives you a greater chance mm -hmm. of not only investing from a winning standpoint, but doing it without the kinds of massive, massive ups and downs that cause you, you know, heartburn and, you know, maybe even heart right. attack sometimes. And so those levels are very, very clear. And I've talked about them a lot in the past, but for the, for general U.S. volatility as represented by whatever, you know, like the S&P, for example, represented by VIX, it's 26, you know, a little bit more. That's, that's the trend level. If it's above 26, you're in a bucket that very, very quickly and very easily goes to 30. And once you get north of 30, forget it. Why? Well, okay, let's see. The last time we watched VIX go north of 30, right, was on September the 3rd. Now, for anyone who doesn't remember what September the 3rd was, it was the day that the S&P 500 dropped 3.5%. And it was the day the NASDAQ dropped almost 5%. Mm -hmm. Now, that's in a day. Now, why is that day important? Because I think it was probably one of the first days of the first bubbles to start popping.
February the 24th was the day that we watched the equity markets gap down. In other words, we went to bed on the 23rd, woke up on the 24th, and the market opened up lower than where it closed the day before. It was the first indication that something was wrong. And you never know what that something is. It's just based on price action and what volatility was doing, it was telling you there's a problem. And so if all you did was look at price action, you'd say, okay, that was bad, uh, but it's down. Maybe I should buy. Mm. Well, again, if you started looking at the volatility measurements, again, back in that February timeframe, you would have said to yourself, okay, well, guess what? It's February the 24th, and for the first time now in a long time, I've just seen the VIX spike up above 30. Mm -hmm. Hmm. If you understood volatility, you would have looked at that and said, something's not right. That's an that's an episodic non. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Trending environment of clustered volatility. This could be the beginning of a problem. What happened? Well, you know, all we have to do is kind of take a historical aspect and a historical, you know, walk around that and say, oh, look, volatility ramped itself all the way to 80. And meanwhile, the market dropped 30 some percent. Now, right now, there's a whole pile of people saying, bah. Who cares? Look, it came back. Everybody made a bunch of money. Um, okay. Yep. You're like one of those people on Twitter that called the bottom exact, stayed in it, got out before it collapsed, all that sort of garbage. Nobody, I'm sorry, but nobody was doing that. We were out of the market in February because of what volatility was saying. Mm -hmm. Nothing else. Nothing else. There was no other thing that was going on that was saying, hey, something's wrong. When volatility spikes, you pay attention because Bad things happen with volatility measurements that all of a sudden spike, cluster, and then change their trend. And that's what happened. Volatility spiked, clustered, and then changed their trend. And so we're witnessing kind of the same thing starting to happen now. Am I saying that we're going to see a 40% collapse in equity prices like we did in February and March? No, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, is that there's a different way in which volatility is acting right now compared to the way it was acting when it was trading in the teens. And we haven't seen that now since well, basically last year, right? Or at least the beginning of this year in, in January timeframe. But to your point, Mike, yes, there are a bunch of people, there are a bunch of institutions, there are a bunch of hedge funds that will trade momentum, momentum, momentum only. Uh, they will trade the the uh, you know they will trade on a net neutral environment, meaning they're neither long nor short. They just try to straddle the market. I mean, there's there's so many strategies that are out there. It's crazy, you know. And and then you start to get into the options market, and you want complexity. Holy smokes! But yet at the same time, you know, one of the things that we're witnessing right now, literally the largest single call contract trading in the history of the world. Now, what does that mean? A single call contract covers 100 shares of whatever stock that particular option is covering. Mm -hmm. The only people more likely than not that are buying 
or selling one contract of individual call options are the small retail traders. And for the most part, small retail traders are not sophisticated. To understand what's going on in the options market at any given time literally requires a tremendous amount of understanding of math and the way different types of, of, of movements in volatility measurements affect these things. Well, what that tells me, if we've got the largest amount of single call contract buying happening in the history of the world, is that individual investors are so ramped up bullish they can't get enough risk. And so therefore buying stock just isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. I now have to go buy options on that contract. Well, why is buying an option a potentially risky move? Because they expire. <laughs> Mike, if I lined up a thousand investors and I showed them what a call contract is and how it worked, but didn't tell them it expired, lots of people would go, man, it looks like a great idea. We should buy that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay, that's that's awesome, but guess what? You got to trade it. You can't just sit on it and and forget about it like you can a stock like lots of people like to do. So, when you have that kind of risk eking into that corner of the market, on top of the fact that we're watching volatility measurements continue to escalate or trend in a new pattern, it's that stuff that just adds up just to the equation of, hey, this is this is why you know, as these things are happening, not necessarily now, but why these things, when they're happening, it's a good idea to consider the risk that you're taking in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. and, and here's where most investors got, got, you know, kind of clobbered on this is that, again, most of these big tech names control a lot of the top positions in a lot of the major mutual funds that are out there. And so what are inside most 401ks? mutual funds, you know, right. and, and, you know, so I understand that people have done well since, you know, the bottom, you know, they, there's certainly gains that people have had the opportunity to get now since the beginning of the year, even though they went through the, the, the collapse in the market. Um, you know, I get all that, but if in fact we're changing, you know, if in fact this does become a deflationary cycle, if in fact we do start to see the dollar go up on a consistent day by day basis, if in fact we start to see commodities underperform, commodities are a flat out sell when it comes to a quad four deflationary environment. There's, there's, there's just not a safe place to be in commodity space. If in fact we see interest rates turn tail and go from, you know, 0.6869% where they were yesterday in the 10 year treasury to 0.6%, which mathematically is a very high probability that that could happen. I mean, all those signs just keep pointing towards a degree of risk off in terms of general U.S. equities. It looks different in other parts of the world. So having the ability to understand global macro gives you the capacity to pick up your toolbox and move to a different space when one space that you happen to be looking at looks bad. Mm -hmm. Lots of investors won't come to understand that because they just won't look at to you know, again, to, to talk about the beginning of your question, they just won't spend time looking at how volatility affects all these different asset classes. Well, in fairness, you've got to keep your eye on a lot of different situations, and it just takes a lot of patience, and um, you got to be really disciplined in order to do this the right way. It's why you do it for them, right? <laughs>
Well, it is, you know, and that's why I write it down every day. I mean, I literally have a notebook with pages after pages after pages of daily handwritten notes of the mathematical probabilities of movements of asset classes. And so what it does is it gives you over time an idea of how these asset classes are, are, are responding to the movements of the economic cycle, you know? And so if you understand that economic cycle, it just, it changes how you view investing, right? Sure. It's, it's not a gamble if it's a mathematical equation that's helping you make your choice, <laughs> right? I mean, if, right. You're playing the odds. A gamble is to say, oh, I don't know. Hey, that looks like a great company. Oh, look, they're going to come up with a vaccine. I think I'll buy that company. Uh, okay. Well, sounds like a gamble to me. Right. I guess. However, if you if you go through the calculus of the market, which is focused on price, volume, volatility, with volatility being the number one leading ca- component of that calculus, and it says that, well, the asset class of gold has a greater degree of probability moving from $1,920 an ounce to $1,980 an ounce. If it's at 1980, guess what? Mm-hmm. I don't want to buy it. I want to wait for it to come down. <laughs> that's having a discipline and a process. And that's, I think, what most investors might not be understanding or maybe are missing. You know, so I know this. I know we've got a very deep discipline and we've got a process. And the process is repeatable. The process is followable and understandable. It just takes a little bit of time and you got to be willing to at least yeah. do a little math. It's <laughs> like uh, going to the plate against the pitcher who throws four nasty pitches and not having a plan saying, all right, I'm only looking fastball or slider until I get into this count or this count. And then you look at the uh, scouting report saying, all right, if it's this count, he's going to throw me this and this. And that's what you look for. You got to have that game plan. You know, got to have the game plan. That's right. You're all you're right. Absolutely right. He is the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. He is with Capstone Wealth Management. To get in contact with him via phone, 866-596-9886, 866-596-9886, or send him an email to info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com. I am Mike Pilch. He is Chris Klein. This is Care for My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Care for My Wealth with Mike Pilch and Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. He is the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. I'm Mike Pilch. Now to get in contact with him at Capstone Wealth Management via phone, it is 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can also send him an email to info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com. All right, so... Talking about a potpourri of subjects again today, and we kind of, I guess, extended our discussion over the phase transition in the markets right now, and maybe some more signs developing on where you should go. Uh, we've talked about equities a bit here now, Chris, and I don't know how to phrase this. What do we do about owning equities now that we're in quad four? Is it good? Is it bad? Like, Give us a rundown on where we should be looking here. Well, so quick clarification, we're not in that quad four deflationary segmentation yet. It's just that the signals continue to percolate, right? And that's an important distinction because we could still be within this stagflationary mode and it's given us a head fake. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the case. I do think that we're headed towards that that cycle, but we're not there yet. So that being said, there are still things that do work inside the lens of 
a stagflationary environment, which is where I certainly have been uh, positioned over the last, uh, well, several months actually. And, uh, and, and so therefore, I'm not saying that equities in general don't work when you have a deflationary environment. What I'm saying is, is that if you're willing to invest in them, you have to be willing to accept massive amounts of volatility, right? That's the key. <clears throat> in a quad four deflationary environment, the equities that do work, if any, are pretty much isolated to things of quality. Uh, REITs have a tendency to do well. Real estate investment trusts, so real estate investment types of, uh, of holdings. Um, utilities have a tendency to do well within that segmentation. Now, I can tell you this. This is why tracking volatility becomes so valuable. Mm. Okay, all those particular equities work well. Gold miners, those can do really well inside a deflationary segmentation because gold does well, right? So the price of gold has oh, a tendency okay. to go up. As that goes up, gold miners' fortunes get better, and so therefore their stock prices, quote, should <laughs> respond. Anytime you get north of 26 on the VIX and certainly above 30, which in a quad four deflationary segment, you're absolutely going to be in. If it's truly quad four, you're going to see VIX spike. You're going to see VIX in the volatility measurement for the NASDAQ. You're going to see them spike. You're going to see them go up a lot more than what they are right now. In every one of those instances, every one of those equity kinds and, and subclasses that I just mentioned are going to get hurt. There's just no two ways about it. They're just going to get hurt. The prices are going to stink for a little bit. And, and so therefore, the holding of those securities are going to sting while you're going through it. Now, for some people, yeah, doesn't matter. They're okay with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They've got a long-term investment perspective. Eh, okay. That's great. I just don't want to see 20% of my capital get blown up and then have to fight back from that. I want to I want to stop that from happening if I can. So, therefore, if we are in a situation where US equities roll into that quad four deflationary segmentation, which again, we're not there yet. We're just showing signals that it could be coming because of what's happening with the dollar, some of the things that's happening in commodity space, you know, stuff like that, right? There are places in the world that are not in the same economic structure. In other words, they're right. not on the same spot of the sine curve of the economy. <clears throat> and the places right now, at least, that are uh, at least flashing much, much better economic environments are places like Finland, places like China, places like Taiwan, not necessarily in that order. And, and so when you look at the currency, like, for example, when you look at the Chinese currency, the renminbi or the yuan, it's appreciating. Huh. Imagine that. Chinese people are getting paid in a currency that's actually going up <laughs> versus what has been happening so far here in the US, people getting paid in a currency that's going down, making yeah. their life more expensive, you know? Isn't so, it isn't it alarming that China's doing that during this thing and we're not? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And a lot of levels, I, that's kind of alarming. Yeah, agreed. You know, from a from a citizen standpoint, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't disagree with that one bit. You know, now maybe you know we look at that another way and say, well, okay, maybe it'll make it easier for them to pay the tariffs that uh, President Trump's placed on them and that they've been paying for the past you know how many ever months. I don't know, I, but the bottom line is that you you can move portions of your portfolios into places 
that are a better positioned from an economic standpoint. You know, Finland is this quiet little country mm-hmm. that nobody ever talks about. When's the last time everyone's anyone said to you, Hey, Finland looks like a great place to invest. <laughs> uh, never, but I know people that have been there and been at Norway and Sweden, and I have yet to meet anyone that doesn't just love it there. I've never been there, but I've heard the same thing. Yeah. And so it just makes me want to go and check it out. Sounds like there's not a reason to not be there right now. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Sweden is another one that yep. is actually signaling a, a better place to be from an investment standpoint. It's not there yet, but am I saying to go out and buy these things now? No, I'm not saying to buy these things now because why? Particular timing matters on a particular thing. And many of these things that I just mentioned happen to be tapping what specifically is related to the top probabilities of their mathematical range. And so you have to be, you have to look at that and say, well, okay, I don't care. It's in a bullish phase. They're in a much, much better economic trend. I'm just going to buy it now and I'll hold on to it until it's not. Okay, fine. One, you have to know when that economic sign curve changes for those countries. And two, you got to be willing to deal with a little bit more volatility than, Mm -hmm. than just saying, well, I'm going to buy it when the mathematical probability is at the low end versus the high end, right? You got to know how to do that. Well, how do you do that? Well, you got to figure out how to do calculus with price vo- volume and volatility. And I know that's your favorite subject on the planet, right? No, <laughs> not really. No, no. <laughs> Guess what? You and probably 95% of the rest of America uh, don't want that either. Uh, and I get it. You know, I, I, I truly do. So the point being is that eventually the U.S. is going to come out of this. And I understand. I I do not want to bet against the United States of America. I really don't. I I think the United States of America is, without a doubt, the greatest country on the planet. I believe that it has the greatest qualities and characteristics of any country anywhere ever. But like any country, every country goes through economic booms and busts. And those booms and busts sometimes happen because of things that occur in the market and it leads that process. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I get that. A lot of people will look at what's happened to the equity market since the March 23rd low and say, well, man, the stock market's a leading economic indicator. And it is. I mean, there's no two ways about that. Doesn't that mean that we've got strong economic times ahead? Well, maybe not, because remember, the U.S. equity market's a leading economic indicator. It leads the process of what goes on as it relates to economic cycling. And so therefore, if the U.S. equity market rolls over from here, and I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying that there are signs based on trading activity, price volume and volatility over the last two weeks, two and a half weeks this month that say, hey, that doesn't look so good. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't look very comfortable. That doesn't look like something that's just, uh, you know, super, super healthy at this point. So could it be that we are signaling an economic cycle that in that includes some deflationary pressures and could it be that the current US equity market activity since the beginning of September is signaling that signal yeah it's possible a- absolutely we have to be prepared for the possibility that that could in fact happen <clears throat> nothing goes up straight up all the time without any interruptions the interruptions that the equity market here in the U.S. has seen, well, for really the longest time, I mean, for years, really since since the 2008 financial crisis, has been unprecedented. Yeah, The kinds of growth that, that has occurred in the U.S. equity market has been stunning. Nothing goes up 
forever all the time. And, and having a market go up from, well, basically the beginning, you know, February, March timeframe of 2009 until now with not very many hiccups along the way is, is remarkable. And, and it, it, and it's not to suggest that, well, just because it's a long period, just because that time series is extended, that doesn't mean that it has to go down. All I'm saying is, is that when you have a market constantly and continually elevated, and then all of a sudden its volatility measurements really start to kick in gear, you have to ask yourself, all right, well, what if, hmm. how, how would I, what's my plan if in fact we do roll over into deflationary cycle? What's my plan if the stock market sheds another 5%, 10%, 20%? I mean, could it do that? Mike, I'm telling you right now, the U.S. equity market could blow off another 20% without batting an eye. Am I saying that it will? No, I'm not saying that it will. However, with the options activity that's going on underneath the market, specifically within the dealer realm, and I'm not going to get into this too much because it's it's just it's more complex than, than what we have time for. <clears throat> but you start to get into a, a process where when the market starts moving in a specific direction, dealers have to respond to that based on what's happening in the options market with regards to something called gamma. If you want to read what gamma is, go on and take a peek. Mm -hmm. what, it means that the good keeps getting better and the bad keeps getting worse. If things roll over and we have a shift or a flip in what's called gamma, yeah, we can see this market really lop off some value really, really fast. So the question becomes, as an investor, are you prepared for that? If you are, good for you. Great. That sounds to me like you've got a, a process and you're okay with, with a you know 20% drawdown in your capital. I, I'm not okay with that, number one. But number two, if you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not sure how I would respond. What that tells me is you don't have a process. Right. If there's any one thing that I hope anyone listening, Mike, takes away from my show on a consistent weekly basis is that we have a process and that you should too. <laughs> and that process doesn't have to be I use. It has to be a process that fits you specific to your goals and objectives, specific to the volatility that you're willing to handle and the losses that you're willing to sustain. That becomes the biggest issue. People have forgotten what it felt like to go through 2008. I, I, you know, I don't want to say that everybody's forgotten about, but a large contingent of investors have forgotten what that felt like. Mike, there's a lot of investors that didn't go through it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't know. It people. seems like people live in the moment more now than they ever have been before. And while that's not a bad thing, there's times you got to right. step back and and not get caught up in the the emotion of everything, and you got to think things through. And I I don't know. I just seem to see that more and more as we go forward. All right, Chris is going to be back with some final thoughts on the other side. He is to care for my wealth guy, Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. To get in contact with him via phone eight six six five nine six ninety eight eighty six. 866-596-9886, or send up an email to info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. This is Care For My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. Care For My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management, our final two minutes or so. Chris Klein, your parting thoughts for the week. 
Well, my parting thoughts are that, you know, most people listening to my show for the very first time be saying to themselves, holy smokes, that sounds, that what, whatever he's saying, one, I think makes sense, but two, it sounds really complex. You're right. Markets are complex. And anyone that might lead you to believe that markets are not complex are not giving you the full story <laughs> because markets across the globe, across asset classes, across all segmentations have complexities built into them. And what you have to understand is that there's a roughness to all markets that make them riskier than what you think. So therefore, what we have to do is make sure that we're controlling that risk by understanding what makes it risky so that we can make good and right decisions when the time comes. That's all. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, uh, Mr. Care for My Wealth Guy, Chris Klein. How do people get in contact with you? You can reach me at uh, 866-596-9886. We are meeting with people in person if they would like. Uh, Zoom meetings, if you would prefer, or a telephone chat, whichever you'd like. Uh, Or you can reach out to us in at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com, and uh, someone will get a hold of you to set up a time to chat. All right. Sounds great. Capstone Wealth Management, again, that's 866-596-9886 or info at careformywealth.com. He is the Care For My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. We'll talk to you again in a week. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.